politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots under siege by our political class. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the House, April 29th, Wednesday. Where has this month gone? Well, I'll tell you where it's gone. It's gone in the garbage. This is our Black April. But the momentum is on our side. Will the April tyranny give way to Mayflowers of freedom? Flowers of freedom in time for Mother's Day. Um, the momentum clearly is on our side, which is why the lockdown fascists, anarcho-tyrannical fascists, worst mix- mixture of anarchy and tyranny, it's why they are on the run. It's why they are trying to stifle debate, why they're trying to run and hide, not convene legislatures, not convene Congress, not do what they're supposed to do while doing everything that is illegal for them to do. Make no mistake, these people violating their oaths of office, violating individual rights, have forfeited their power as a governor, as a county official. Just remember that. What they are doing is null and void. And now the data is in. We no, no longer need to speculate. We no longer need to grope in the dark. There are still things we don't know about this virus. But what we know now is that what should have been done from day one is that we should have shut off international travel, especially from China, all of January. As I advocated along with Senators Hawley, Senator Tom Cotton, we should have surged resources to the hospitals and to nursing homes. And we're going to talk about nursing homes in particular today. And then everyone else, you quarantine the sick, and everyone else, you do what we've done since the beginning of time. Instead, we... Let in the virus in mass numbers. We did nothing, even the most prudent measures, for several weeks. Actually, really several months. Over the years, these same politicians sold us out to China. So we had no control over our supply chain for vital medical gear, even medications. And we had a terrible tax and regulatory climate that has chased businesses overseas. Yet rather than dealing with those issues, to this day, Congress hasn't touched them. They suspended liberty, declared martial law, locked us all up needlessly, closed the schools where there is zero science, and we're going to talk about that as well, behind locking down school-age children. None of them die from coronavirus. They're more likely to die from everything else under the sun than that, and nor do they transmit it to their parents. There's now studies out from Iceland, Netherlands, and Switzerland confirming that, and there is no um, competing research that uh, contradicts that. We'll get to that if we have time. And they let out endless scores of gun felons, while taking away our gun rights, of course. Sex offenders, up the wazoo. I just saw one in my area, east side of Baltimore. This rapist, while police were looking for other victims, they believe this guy had other victims too, they let him go. He wasn't a priority, the judge said. We have to save space in the jails, which is all pseudoscience too, as we spoke about yesterday. So there's a lot going on here. A lot going on here. But I want to clear up some misconceptions that are floating around the internet 
that these desperate anarcho tyrants are promoting. You see, this Dr. Dan Erickson in Bakersfield, California, Kern County, California, he put out a video with his co- a co-owner of his emergency clinics that were responsible for more than half of the testing done in his county. And he put out an hour video that spoke very plainly to the average person. It got over 5 million hits on YouTube, and it was just devastating to the cause of the global political elites and tyrants. Because he laid it out bare, what we all understood, like we said, is that while there is a serious element to this, there's nothing we can do once we let it in the country. The only way to end it is to achieve herd immunity. And thankfully, now that we know that it's spread far and wide to probably upwards of 50 million in this country already, the fatality rate is really very low outside of nursing homes and outside of you know certain people with very uh, compromised immune systems. Yet rather than dealing with those in a vacuum, they just shut down everyone. And now we have the worst of all results. We have the worst of all results. In other words, we actually dragged out coronavirus. More people are scared to go to the emergency room for coronavirus or a myriad of other illnesses from stroke, hypertension, um, even transplant patients. 85% of transplants are being put off. You cannot imagine the life years lost cumulatively of everyone. And we might talk about that today or tomorrow as well. There's some good studies out where our governments are falling down. Some foreign governments have taken up the mantle to study this. And we're going to get nothing but turning um, the healthy people's immune systems into those who are already compromised. If you ever watch the Bubble Baby movie, that's what it is. You turn, they want basically us to be on lockdown for a year, 18 months, who knows what, until they get a vaccine, if they ever get it. Have you ever thought of what that will do to the immune systems of everyone in this country not just for coronavirus, but for any number of bacteria and viruses. That, in a nutshell, was the thesis of Dr. Dan Erickson. Now, as always, you know, everyone has their own way of explaining things. I would have said things a little bit differently than, than they did, um, and, and we'll get to the one point of contention. But what the left always does, I call this the Amelia Bedelia syndrome. So you'll give an hour scholarly lecture really driving home five terrific points that are ironclad. You'll use one process for one data point to make one of those points that's proven five other ways, and they'll fo- focus like Amelia Bedelia hyper-literally on that one thing. Oh, you're wrong. Oh, you, you used this calculation. And, and then they'll like say the whole thing is false. So that's what they did here. So there's a number of these critiques on the web that are saying, well, he lied to us. You see. The problem is he didn't use random sampling. He went and said that um, likely 6% of the county and 12% of California have coronavirus because of the 6% positive rate in in his county, 12% positive rate in the state of those who tested, who took the tests and tested positive. And they're like, ha, 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 what a stupid thing. And you can't extrapolate that to the general public because it's a confirmation bias. Obviously, it's those who are sick with respiratory symptoms that are going to go to the clinic. So it's going to be a much uh, greater percentage than the general population. Here's the problem. The very lockdown people that are, de- that are using this to so-called debunk Erickson, 
they are the ones who use the same faulty math to say this had a 4 or 5% kill rate and an 8% kill rate in New York City. And we said, no, you need random sampling. So many more people have it. You can't use that. And they had no problem. Now they have a problem with him. But the difference is Erickson has random sampling plus full data of a controlled setting, not where you don't need extrapolation, saying the same thing, that the fatality rate for most people is between 0.1 and 0.2. So even if you don't like the way he arrived at that conclusion, it's true anyway. And in fact, it's the other side that used this. What, what, what has gone on the last number of weeks? The other side took the number of confirmed cases based on testing, which we always knew was a fraction of what was really out there. And they take the deaths and they say, oh, look, you see, there's a three, you know, the World Health Organization, 3.4% kill rate. So that, that induced the entire panic and the lockdown. They talk about Italy. This is what induced the whole thing. And then, and then if you add up New York City, it's like 8 9%. If you would take the confirmed cases and the deaths, well, that, that's terrible, right? But we were like, no, if you were to, to really be able to test everyone, you'll see that a massive percentage of the population has it. So it's likely that once you get the true denominator and the numerator is not going to grow, if anything, the numerator, as we spoke about yesterday, is somewhat inflated because they're being overly liberal in um, c- categorizing many like heart deaths and other deaths as COVID deaths. But you'll find that basically most parts of the country, it's from anywhere from 0.1 to 0.3, and maybe in New York City, it's more like 0.5, but the jury is still out. And we were proven right. This is, don't take my word for it, this is New York City's own serology study. Own serology study, Cuomo study, that a quarter of the entire New York City has it. So Erickson was right. And that makes the case fatality rate at, or infection fatality rate, IFR, at 0.55. Now, that is elevated over the rest of, of over the other serology tests, but it's certainly not the 8-9% that you would use from the very math that they criticize Erickson for using. They're the ones who use that math. Here's the thing. We have endless serology tests. Miami-Dade County, perfect representation of the country in terms of age demographics. If anything, slightly slightly older and slightly more at risk because it's 40% Hispanic, which genetically they seem to be a little bit more um, at risk than the general population, albeit not quite as much as African Americans. So it was 0.18, 0.18. Almost exact same results in LA County and the Stanford study in Santa Clara. Now people criticize the Stanford study, but again, there are government studies too. County studies. Same thing, a county in western Colorado. Similar results, about 0.18. Similar things from Iceland, Germany, Switzerland. We've seen this all over the place. One serology study after another. But it's more than serology. If serology is the equivalent of a scientific poll, a random sampling, ships, naval ships, are the equivalent of election ballots. You don't need to have a poll. You have the results. So you have a contained population on the USSS uh, Theodore Roosevelt aircraft carrier 
about 5,000 crew. I think 4,600. Turns out, so far, 968 confirmed cases. Positive. So you see, in a confined population, it's going to be very contagious. That's, you know, at least 20%. And the number might still grow. Because I think they, they finished testing everyone on the ship. They tested every human being. So you have a controlled, you don't need to rely on extrapolation. Their whole thing about Ericsson was they didn't like his extrapolation. Okay, here you don't need to rely on it. It's a, it's a, it's a contained, full universe where you tested every single person in that universe. Now, there's still some pending tests, so it might grow. But 968, there is one death. One death. That's very close to 0.1, maybe 0.119 or 0.12. Now, yes, it is, it is a younger population. People probably in their 20s and 30s on the ship. A lot of people early 20s, even 19, 20-year-olds. I don't know the age of the individual who died. I'm not sure if that's public information. But that's what we're seeing. And, and, and remember, an, an important point, none of these serology studies sample kids. I think it might be because of um, legal reasons. So imagine if you put under 18 into that pile, it would drive the numbers down even more. Which gets to another point is, it's just simply indefensible. Indefensible. In all ways. To... Um, not have the schools open. It is indefensible. It's, it's, it's plain and simple. And again, we're seeing this similar thing from, from jails and prisons. Defined populations that are isolated. 96% were asymptomatic in four different state prison population samples. North Carolina, Virginia, Arkansas, and, I, and, and uh, Ohio. Which again tells you this has spread so far and wide to so many people. But that the... Again, what did Erickson in that video keep saying? Like he said this 10 times. Millions got it. Low fatality rate. That is true. You could kick, you could scream, you could call names all you want. That is true. You take New York City out of the equation and its metro area for the rest of the country, this is essentially a nursing home crisis. And that's the one area where they're diverting resources. Can you imagine? They want to do contact tracing on everyone and lock everyone down and spend billions of dollars on that. We flush trillions of dollars. If we would have spent a fraction on that, on quarantine, resourcing, heck, to build everyone their own thing in a nursing home, with a private aid, it would have cost a fraction amount to that. Instead, we're diverting resources. You know, in my state of Maryland, Lockdown Larry, the piece of garbage, illegitimate governor of Maryland, he suppressed data on nursing homes. They were asking for it. He suppressed it for weeks. It finally came out. More than half of all fatalities in Maryland, which the fatalities aren't that high to begin with, were in nursing homes. 67% in my county, Baltimore County, about a million people in this county, 67% were in nursing homes. And this guy wants to spend billions of dollars hiring 100,000 contact tracers to somehow trace contacts when probably upwards of 50 million people in this country have gotten it. 
I mean, not only is he a tyrant, and not only is he legally and scientifically illiterate, he's mentally ill. But that's a different story. So I want to go on to an article I wrote today, two articles. And again, you go to conservativereview.com, click on an article. You could just click on my name, see the chronology, the last. I've written about, you know, I've been writing about 10, 12 articles a week, all very packed with information. So, you know, sometimes I don't have a chance to get to all of it on the show, but I do want to get to something very, very important here. Minnesota. Minnesota has Governor Waltzing Waltz, a clown show who waltzes around while he locks up his entire state and destroys its economy for no reason. Now, let me tell you something about Minnesota. Minnesota has the distinction of being surrounded on three sides by states that did not lock down. It's a very rare distinction because um, only seven states didn't issue a formal shelter-in-place order. Wyoming, Utah, South Dakota, North Dakota, Arkansas, Nebraska, and Iowa. So Minnesota has Iowa to its south and the Dakotas to its west. Nebraska is a little bit farther south, but it's enveloped by states. So similar demographics, upper Midwest, similar, similar geography, the prairie areas. And those states did not lock down. Minnesota has a severe lockdown that he's actually get, making it even worse rather than moving in the other direction as, as other governors are doing. Now, they were, they were, all the experts were saying, they were yelling at Governor Christy Nome from South Dakota, how dare you not lock down? People are going to get killed, yada, yada. They yelled at her and everything. This clownish Governor Waltz was like, ha, ha, ha. You know, he was laughing at them. I do worry about them, meaning his neighboring states. It's probably only a matter of time before they issue those too. Well, the data is in. That's today's show. The data is in. The results are in. This man took an inherent non-hotspot of Minnesota, locked down the people, achieved a worse outcome on coronavirus than the surrounding states that didn't lock down, and then now, because of the lockdown, he is suffering worse unemployment than New York. I mean, that takes talent. He was barely affected but winds up having a little bit more people dying than the surrounding states. No reason to do lockdown. And the entire problem they have is from the lockdown because aside the top five employers in the states, well, one is the federal government, one's the state government, but the next one is the Mayo Clinic and two other healthcare systems. They were shut down. 40% of the Mayo Clinic staff furloughed. Could you imagine the lives that will be lost? I'm not even talking about the economy. And people who die from depression, suicide, abuse, all the marital problems with financial um, mass ubiquitous financial hardship. I'm not even scoring that. That should be modeled as well. I'm talking about directly the physical health care that he shut down. Folks, I, I want to share with you a data point that's brand new, just came out a couple hours ago, that is just going to blow your mind that demonstrates this point with the health care. If nothing else, this emblematizes, exemplifies uh, exemplifies the perfidy and perverseness of the lockdown. You see, we were told we need to lock down and we need to shut down healthcare and then scare even the essential healthcare, the ERs, people from going to ERs because of the panic porn that you're going to get COVID and somehow it's more deadly than, than it really is relative to the heart attack that they're about to get and they need to go to the emergency room. 
because we're going to get overrun everywhere and we, we just we just need to shut it down. Well, it became apparent that nowhere outside of New York City, and even there was most for the most part a little bit exaggerated, but outside of New York City was overrun. No place was. And in fact, they, they were underrun that they had to furlough half their staff because of the shutdown and because of the panic porn. Because no one would come in. So could you imagine that? You would think that we have a massive plague, so it's going to take a chunk out of our GDP. But you would think it would affect everything. But the one thing that would do good, if nothing else, is healthcare, right? Everyone's dying. Everyone's going to the hospital. If nothing else, they're going to get paid. They're going to get overtime pay. If anything, you're going to have a shortage of workers, right? No. It was so perfidious and wrong with such circular logic that, in fact, we weren't overrun. We were underrun because of the shutdown, not because of the virus. And guess what? So the GDP numbers came in for quarter one. And it showed it showed that we lost 4.5% GDP. Now, <laughs> it's funny. We would have panicked in any other scenario, 4.5%. Now it's nothing because it's really going to wind up being 40% because remember, um, this is the first quarter. So January and February was totally nothing. It was actually a boom period. We probably would have gained a few percentage. And then March kind of gradually tailed down, really not until like kind of the last 10 days of March and then severely accelerating first week of April. So, and, and even that tail end of it clipped the GDP and took away, um, took away, you know, close to 5%. Uh, 4.8% of GDP. Folks, do you know that 2.25% of the loss, not, well, let, let me say say this more precise, 2.25 basis points, in other words, out of the 4.8, it's not 2% of the GDP loss, it's roughly 45% of the GDP loss, meaning almost half of the 4.8% GDP loss comes from the healthcare sector. That is astounding that you have a, a, a viral outbreak and the healthcare sector loses so much that it accounts for half of the national GDP loss. That's how utterly retarded this lockdown has been. Wow. But let me get back to Minnesota. So let's get back to those results. It turns out all of the seven states that did not do lockdown had the best, some of them that downright the best results. Others um, were near the bottom, but not at the bottom. Wyoming, 12. 12 deaths per million people. Well, I mean, it has less than a million people. I forgot how many people in Wyoming died. It was in the single digits, very low, because um, it has more like five, 600,000 people. But the death rate, we're going to go by per million people. So 12 per million people. Now, it is tied with Hawaii, which did a severe lockdown. But again, Hawaii is a, a tiny island. It's isolated. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Iceland, too, has very few deaths. That makes sense. Utah, 13 per million. Now we're going to get to some of the surrounding states. South Dakota, 13. Per million. In other words, only 11 people died 
an entire state when they jumped all over Christy Nome. Arkansas, 17. North Dakota, 25. Nebraska, 29. Iowa, 43. Do you know what Minnesota is? 54. Okay? More than all of its surrounding states. Now, that's still relatively low. It's, it's not bad. About 300 people died from COVID in Minnesota. None of this justified it. But the point is, it didn't justify it, and he actually had a worse result relative to the other states. Now, this guy's making it worse. This guy's making it worse. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of studies. The Wall Street Journal had a good study from three people. They did an, a regression analysis of all three states. When they did lockdown, they compared it, and they said there is no correlation coefficient at all. There's no correlation between how early you did a lockdown and and uh, the success of your you know COVID death outcomes and hospitalizations whatsoever. If anything, they actually found it more closely um, aligning more with the states that did less severe lockdowns did better. But you can't run around with that because it's also the fact that population density plays a big role, and a lot of the states that didn't you know, were big, open, rural states. So, you know, I don't want to run with that either. It really has no correlation. Like we said, it's a matter of getting out ahead of it early. It's a matter of population density, the subways. Those are the big factors. Now, anyway, this is a man who says he's now talking about businesses not getting back to normal for 18 months. That's what this clown is talking about. Minneapolis announced yesterday that it is now removing or blocking basketball rims, removing tennis and volleyball nets, and posting signs notifying park visitors that soccer fields, playgrounds, and skate parks are closed. Folks, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is a state where 77% of the deaths are in nursing homes. Okay? 77% are in nursing homes. Not a single human being has died of COVID under the age of 40, and very, very few died under the age of 65. And this man is telling predominantly a younger crowd, that's who uses basketball courts and playgrounds, especially kids, that we're going to lock that down when there hasn't been a single death, and when numerous studies that have gone unrefuted have shown that there's virtually no transmission in outdoor activities. It's indoors or it's in subways. Mentally ill. What is he left with? What's the only thing he achieved from the lockdown? Minnesota now has one of the worst unemployment rates. So um, the Department of Labor ta tabulated, and I think this is this is old. This is might be as of two weeks ago. It's it's getting worse. But what percentage of the workforce over the last month claimed unemployment insurance, you know, filed unemployment insurance claims? Minnesota, 16.1% filed. Do you know that it is more than New York's 14.6? I mean, you think, oh my gosh, we got a, we got a plague, right? So the plague itself is going to shut everything down. No, the lockdown is worse than the plague. Because in Minnesota, you have more unemployment than in New York. Think about that. 16.1% all for just 300 deaths that you couldn't have prevented anyway, and 77% and in nursing homes. 
And by the way, there's a whole other story that, again, he's delaying his, his like he had a whole reform plan for nursing homes. He's delaying that in order to deal with the epidemic. That's backwards. You're dealing with locking down and tracing and funding other people, but not doing dealing with the nursing homes. I mean, do you understand in, in my county, in Baltimore County, they took so so they threw a bunch of money at the states, and now Trump and Republicans and Mitch McConnell, as well as the Democrats, are all joining together and say, we need to give another 500 billion to the states. They are so flush with gratuitous cash. They're now spending it on garbage rather than the one thing they need to spend it on. Keep every keep the schools open. Everyone else, be careful. Lock down the nursing homes. That's where the money has to go. They're spending money on at the schools now. The schools are shut, but at the schools, they're giving three meals a day free to middle and upper income families. There's there's no income rating. Anyone. Like, that's what we need? Are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So um, that's what he accomplished. And by the way, do you know which state has the lowest unemployment? South Dakota, just 6% of its workforce filed for unemployment. Close to a third of Minnesota's level, okay? So they had as a... I'm not, I'm not going in raw numbers because obviously South Dakota is a smaller state than Minnesota, but, but if you rate it per capita, South Dakota did not do lockdown and had one-fourth the number of deaths. Okay? And it has one-third of the unemployment of Minnesota. Good job, Governor Waltzing Waltz. Friends, this is what happens when... We don't act based on law, science, prudence, and facts. It's the same thing we did with 9-11. We cast a wide net on civil liberties of everyone, but didn't address the problem of not bringing in large numbers of pro-Islamic, pro-Sharia people from terrorist parts of the world and not breaking up the Muslim Brotherhood networks like Anwar al-Awlaki, who paid for the dry run for the hijackers. He was living here in America. He was literally treated as a Muslim leader by our Defense Department holding a Muslim outreach session with our government, with our DOD in the Pentagon three months after his disciples flew planes into it. That, that's, what, that's what liberals do. That's what liberals do. Lock up peaceful people, let out sex offenders, let out child molesters, which they're doing in great numbers, by the way. So... You know, one of the things that's happening here, and I, there, there's so much, but I want to get to the mental health and the physical health cost of this. So nobody has ever modeled how many people are going to die from such an insane disruption that, that it's, it's truly hard to, to wrap our arms around. So, no, of course, you're not going to hear this in the media, but I'll link to this in show notes. A group of Swiss researchers, but it also had one Canadian and a couple of Americans from Mount Sinai in New York City, a couple other places, but it was University of Bonn, Lucerne University in Switzerland. It was a group of psychiatrists and child psychologists. What they wanted to do is see how many people are going to die early from the trickle-down mental health problems that lead to suicide, depression, um, substance abuse. 
uh, child trauma, domestic violence, so social isolation. They had about six different factors. Again, not taking into account the physical stuff, which I'm going to talk about and write about in the coming days, the cancer, the heart patients, the diagnostics that are now needlessly being pushed off because of either the state regulations now, illegal regulations, or the just the, the panic porn that they're imbuing in the public that, that's scaring them away. And it's not, it didn't factor in the financial suffering that we know. I mean, if you have something worse than the Great Depression, you know you're going to have a lot of mental health stuff from that and suicides. They did not model that. Okay. They did not model that. It was just strictly, you know, strictly just the emotional, um, mental stress of the social isolation, suicide, substance abuse. There were six factors. They came out with the fact that it will, that, they assumed that this would last for three months, which is reasonable. So they, they, um, it could be longer, but they modeled three months worth worth of this. So what they did is they used an existing baseline of how many people die every year in Switzerland from suicide and you know substance abuse. These things, how many average life years are taken off? Right. So you know the average person, the average age. So you know they would let's say average die of suicide at forty, but they would have lived till till seventy eight or whatever you know, how many years were taken off, and they added that together. And then they tried to model using, you know, various academic formula how how many additional life years will be taken off. And what they found, and they said it was, for a number of reasons, it's a conservative estimate, it's very limited, that 2.1% of the population will wind up dying from these things. And they, the average will suffer, average one will suffer 979 years of life lost. So an average of 10 years of life lost for 2.1% of the population. 180,000 Swiss, that's 2% of their population. They extrapolated that for America. Again, the study was mainly of Switzerland, but they extrapolated for other countries. If you take our population of 330 million, that would be 67.5 million life years taken off of of about 1.8 million people. 1.8 million people dying an average of 10 years earlier. 67.5 million life years. It's just one study. Just one study. Our projections suggest that the Swiss population will incur a substantial increase in mortality as a consequence of confinement-related psychosocial stress, which should be considered informing public health responses to the pandemic. It is important that policymakers factor mental health when conducting cost-benefit analysis of mitigation strategies. Well, that's the problem. There is no cost-benefit analysis. Not initially, not now, not ever. Shut up, take it, and you can't protest it, and you can't publish articles and videos online. We'll take it down because you don't have First Amendment anymore. Why are why are we so stupid? Oh, we got to lock down. Ugh. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then you get to the physical health. Can you imagine the millions of life years lost from pushing off cancer diagnostics, colonoscopies, mammograms, transplants, as Dr. Um, Atlas said on the show on Friday, 85% being pushed off. Then certainly just straight up the heart patients coming. But now there's another question of are we killing even more COVID patients? Meaning, let's say someone has COVID, 
are they not going to the hospital quickly enough because they're scared of dying and they don't know they have it? Here's an article I want to read to you. Oregonians have died at a rate well above average since mid-March, but tied to COVID-19 unclear state data show. Okay, this is OregonLive.com, the most trafficked uh, news site in Oregon. Oregon, by the way, has had very, 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 very few fatalities, but they did a severe lockdown. More Oregonians died the past month than in typical mid-March and early April, according to data released by state health officials, but fewer than half the excess deaths were officially connected to coronavirus. In all, 245 more Oregonians died during the five weeks between March 16th and April 19th than during those same five weeks in 2017, 2018, 2019 on average. During those five weeks, 78 Oregonians died from COVID-19. Fine. 78 died from COVID. But it looks like, it looks like 167, more than twice that number, died because of the lockdown. Now, these are my words, and I'm not quoting from the article. 167 extra deaths. Now, again, you could have an anomaly, but it's a little bit rare if the numbers track very closely for three years for those given weeks, and then suddenly it goes up 167 deaths, which is a lot in a state like Oregon. That is, if you don't have any particular theory behind that, you you got to assume it's the lockdown. Nearly all the above-average deaths occurred at home among Oregonians, both receiving and not receiving hospice care. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's the thing. That's the thing. You have to wonder how many people are just staying home. Meaning now we have one state with live, very precise data putting an exclamation mark on the theory we've been saying, which is that, well, wait a minute, if you have so many heart patients not coming in, people with you know headaches that might lead to a stroke, um, early signs of a heart attack, as Dr. Atlas was talking about, well, that's got to result in more deaths. Fewer people are being treated in hospitals. 40% decline in, 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 in hospital treatments in Oregon. This is the most counterintuitive thing you could ever imagine. Both unconstitutional regulations and the panic porn that the politicians and the media through the lockdown policies have shown have, have sown into the public have scared people away from going to hospitals. Again, people are dying, but for most people, it's 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3% chance. If you're older, it's going to be maybe closer to 1%. But you can't, you know, it, it's not the degree that they're talking about. Like Ebola, let's say if Ebola is running rampant, you're like, oh, I don't want to go out of my house. I don't want to go to the hospital. I'll, I'll take a chance. But this, you don't want to take a chance with, with uh, other serious illnesses. It's a very interesting article there as well. But again, roughly half of the GDP loss came from the healthcare sector.
friends. That is not just jobs lost. Behind those numbers are an unknown but very large quantity of lives lost due to needlessly shutting down other healthcare so as not to overwhelm the COVID treatment, which never uh, materialized. <laughs> it would be funny if it wouldn't be so sad how perfidious this government truly is on all accounts. And yet Republicans know nothing. Nothing. They have no plans to come back to the Senate. They still control the Senate. They still control the White House. That we will not give states another penny until they stop suspending liberties and property rights. Narrowly condition funding for very small numbers of hospital resources and nursing homes. That's it. And prohibit, use the 14th Amendment to prohibit the states from doing anything else to suspend liberties. Focus on the labor market. Stop the guest workers. You know, a new Washington Post poll. 65% of the country wants a complete shutoff of all immigration. Huge number. No Republicans pushing it. And the president's moratorium was for 60 days, and we proved already last week it, it, it will only block about 5 to 10% of people. It's a fraud. It's a total fraud. So that's what we have there. But, um, I mean, I can go on and on with the banning of elective procedures, how many people that's killing. We're going to have to save some of this for tomorrow. We're running out of time here. But again, this is where we are today. Very, very dangerous. Very dangerous precedent being set. And where are our liberties? You know what's funny? A judge, not a federal judge, a state judge in Illinois, said it's unconstitutional for Governor Pritzker there to continue this order past May 1st. It just doesn't warrant it. If you remember, Illinois was the state where the health director, we played the clip yesterday, said that they count anyone who had tested positive for COVID and died, whatever it's from, even if it's clear alternate causes was her word, her wording, they count it as a COVID death. So you know what's funny? The mayor of Chicago said, screw the judge, I'm not listening. For years I've been saying, every time a stupid federal judge illegally hears a case where there's no valid standing, issues a ruling that violates 200 years of Supreme Court precedent, violates statute, violates constitution, violates the definition of fundamental rights, gives rights to illegal aliens. Well, Daniel, what, what are you supposed to do? The judge said, I'm like, dude, do you not understand the power of executive power? You just ignore it, like, like Lincoln said. They never wanted to do that. Now, when you actually have a valid case in controversy of core negative locomotion restriction of movement rights of Americans, Life, liberty, and property at its most basic element being violated. And you have individual businesses and individuals affected being criminalized. See, that's the thing. A court can't mandate policy. You have to treat the border like this. You have to do that. No, no, no. But what a court is there for is that you can't criminally convict me without due process. And a court has to convict you. So I have the right to go to a court and say, look, this is a bogus edict. It violates emergency powers. It oversteps it. It violates the state constitution. It violates the federal constitution. Again, 
I, when I, I don't believe there, there's a couple of things here. Number one, courts aren't the end all. They're not. They don't have the final say. They have one avenue. I've been very consistent about that. And number two is a court has more power to issue a negative on a positive action, not to put a positive on a negative. And literally the same week, the Supreme Court eight to one ruled that the president must give eleven billion dollars to insurance companies when Congress explicitly not only didn't appropriate the funding but actually barred appropriation for it. So now the courts could 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 appropriate funding. You see the difference. A court, th- my contention over the years is always a court can't set policy, but a court could take an individual that has a prima facie right being violated and say, look, just get off my lawn. I don't have a right to stimulus. I don't have a right to handouts. I don't have a right to Medicaid. I don't have a right to food stamps, but I do have a right to move freely, to assemble freely, to worship freely, and to earn a living in some reasonable way. Life, liberty, property. Suddenly then, Democrats just ignore the courts with impunity. Again, a broken clock is right twice. Our political system is wrong every single time. So there's a lot more going on. Again, studies from Iceland, Netherlands, and Switzerland showing that not only do kids almost never die from COVID, but that kids do not transmit it to the parents. This was the big lie being used to justify shutting down schools. I'll get to this more tomorrow. It's the other way around. It's parents, give, it's adults give it to kids, but then again, it's not a problem. It bounces off of most of them. It's not a problem. The best way to achieve herd immunity is to have kids go out, spread it among kids, which has already been spread pretty far already. You're going to have more deaths from everything else than that. And that's the, and then you don't have all the mental health issues you're going to have with kids at a school. And then also that's the antecedent to the economic food chain because if kids are home, parents can't work. I mean, it's a disaster. I thank God every day that I'm able to earn just enough, just enough at this point that my wife doesn't have to work. But, um, you know, you can imagine if we needed it, which a lot of people do, you need two incomes. Four kids at home is an utter disaster, you know, under the age of 10. So this has got to stop. The, the, the schools are the first things that need to be open. They should have never been closed. You could take that to the bank. There is no science behind that whatsoever. But anyway, I got to run. I want you guys again. We're going to hopefully set up either tonight or tomorrow Minutemen Tavern for you guys to get together at Harwood Citizen Sanctuary. But if you don't want a public page, we will. We already have a couple hundred invites in. We're going to give out to those that, that hit the blue button there. Subscribe at Harwood Citizen Sanctuary Facebook page. We'll put you in our Minimum Tavern. It's going to be a private Facebook group that we could coordinate, share information, share strategies. Remember, I don't see every study. I don't see every news story. There's so much going on. It's so hard to keep track of the scientific aspect, the legal aspect, the um, fascist aspect, the jailbreak, letting go criminals, all sorts of stuff, the legislative news, the judicial news. So this way, you could be a force multiplier for me, and I could run this up the food chain to Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, and you know some people in the White House and, and uh, Congress, and, and try to get something moving to you know good conservative governors, the few that exist. Folks, we're gaining momentum, but remember, the biggest ammo we have is knowledge and truth. 
need to spread that ammo far and wide. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.